MacCast, Sunday, February 13th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Mac and Apple tips, tricks, going-ons, and everything happening in our little Apple community. Hope you are doing really, really well today. I'm having a little bit of technical difficulties here on the Mac. has some, some audio issues, but hopefully we will work through that and get through all of it. And because we have a number of great things to get into and to talk about in this episode. So we're going to dive this episode, rather, not episodes, just one here this time around. But we're going to be getting in and talking about some new Mac stuff, a few new Mac rumors in the works. We're going to talk about a new feature of Apple Pay, or I guess an extension of kind of Apple Payments. We're going to get into a music startup that Apple... Uh, potentially purchased and then we have a bunch of apple tv news some good news for apple on the awards front and uh apple addressing some of the complaints people have been having about the security or personal privacy surrounding air tags and that's going to round out the news for this week and then we'll get into some questions we have a question about disk uh repair and disk permissions we have a question about editing images on your Mac. And then I have a really great thing of the moment for you this time around. Something that's really helped me out recently with a change or an update to some of my Macs. So I'll share that with you and that will round out this episode of the MacCast. So I say we just dive right into things. Starting off with our friend Mark German. He has a feeling that the Face ID will eventually come to the Mac, but not on a notebook first. He made a comment in his new newsletter that says the feature will most likely show up in an iMac, and that's because the technology needed to build Face ID into an ultra-thin notebook display just really doesn't doesn't exist right now. Now, it did kind of seem, at least to me, like Apple might have been preparing for Face ID in a notebook, especially when they added the notch to the new 14-inch and 16-inch designs. Uh, We know the current ones don't have Face ID yet, but seemed like, hey, there's a notch in there. Notch on the iPhone was required to get Face ID technology in there, so maybe that's what Apple was planning for the notebooks. Uh, Though in the past, Mark Gurman also did say that Face ID would make its way into an updated iMac, And that was before the release of the 24-inch iMac. So we don't know what happened there. He he, he didn't get the prediction right at that point. This time around, it's been rumored that the 27-inch iMac Pro, that update is looming on the horizon. He didn't specifically call out that model for getting Face ID, but maybe that will be the first Mac to feature Face ID. We'll just have to wait and see on that one. Now, one thing mentioned in the articles about Face ID on the Mac is that while it would be great for unlocking your Mac, using it for Face ID purchases would require some other kind of validation or confirmation of the action that you would need to take to make that purchase. And so if that is true, 
you know, uh, some people were saying, does it make sense for Face ID to come to the Mac? Because it's really just going to be used for unlocking and then to, to use it for actually making purchases, it's still a lot like having to use Touch ID. You're going to have to take some other action to make that purchase. And I was kind of thinking about that, and it's not too different than the way it is on iOS today, especially when you're making an Apple Pay purchase on the web. You still have to confirm that purchase someplace else, like on your Apple Watch or iPhone or by pressing the Touch ID button. So I guess the point here is that, you know, really does adding Face ID add much or bring much to the experience to improve the Mac experience. And maybe that's why Apple hasn't brought Face ID over to the Mac yet. And I know a lot of people really want to see it come. I am a fan of Touch ID, so I think that works great. And I've had no issues with that. Although I have to say, I'm now using my MacBook Pro on my desktop in clamshell mode. And obviously I can't use the Touch ID button when it's like that. So Maybe having a Face ID on a monitor or an iMac, a display, that would make a lot more sense and maybe make things a little bit easier. And then you could just confirm on your keyboard or your Apple Watch or some other connected device like your iPhone. So who knows? We'll have to see how Apple ultimately brings Face ID to the Mac, if they bring Face ID to the Mac. But I'd be curious to know your thoughts on that. You know, Do you want Face ID on your desktop Mac or are we fine with it uh, just existing on our iPhones and iOS devices. Let me know how you think it would work, what the advantages you think would be, and uh, give me some feedback, maccast at gmail.com. Another thing we've been talking about quite a bit is the next generation of the M1 Apple Silicon Macs. We know those are potentially right around the corner. No one knows for sure yet when Apple's next event is going to be exactly, but at the moment, a lot of people are predicting sometime in early March, likely March 8th. Whatever happens, we do have a couple sources this week saying that the M2, the next generation of the M1, is destined for an updated 13-inch MacBook Pro, and that could be part of that March 8th lineup. Now, first we have Mark Gurman again at Bloomberg, Now, he doesn't say anything specifically about a release date, but he does say that an updated 13-inch MacBook Pro would come with a new M2 chip. It would ditch the touch bar just like the 14-inch and 16-inch models, uh, but not add much else. He does say the low-priced Pro wouldn't have a lot of the high-end specs, specifically things like ProMotion or mini-LED backlighting, so they're really just going to do an update to the processor. And he does expect that other M1 Macs in the lineup would also get the M2 upgrades in 2022, probably later, and that would include a 24-inch iMac update, an entry-level Mac Mini update, and an update to the MacBook Air. So that whole lineup, which seems logical in my opinion. Over at Digitimes, they do claim that Apple will launch the M2 in an updated MacBook Pro at their next event in the spring, presumably this March event. So They're going out on a limb and saying Apple is going to bring the M2 uh, at that event. Now, in fact, they did think the event would feature a whole lineup of Apple products, a number of the things that we've been waiting for, including an M2 13-inch MacBook Pro update. They say Apple will announce the next entry-level 5G iPhone SE that we've been talking about and bring out that updated entry-level iPad. They again confirmed that the MacBook Pro would basically have, quote, almost the same specs as the existing model, just with an updated processor. So 
you know, I think that seems like a pretty good event, an updated MacBook Pro, iPhone 5G SE, and an updated entry-level iPad. Seems logical that that's where we would land with this March event, and we'll just have to wait and see if that comes to fruition. I think it was maybe in the last episode of the MacCast that we talked about a rumor that Apple was getting set to allow retailers to use their iPhones as tap-to-pay terminals. Well, it's official now. Apple did announce that it's going to allow consumers to use their iPhone to accept contactless payments as well as make them. Apple said tap-to-pay on the iPhone will be available for payment platforms and app developers to integrate into their iOS apps and to offer as a payment option to their business customers. It will be offered first in the U.S. this spring to Stripe business customers and then rolled out to additional payment platforms and apps later this year. The way it's going to work is through iOS apps, and you will need to have an iPhone XS or later, but then when you have a compatible app, you can take an iPhone or an Apple Watch and pay with Apple Pay. You'll be able to use contactless credit or debit cards or other digital wallets just by placing them near the merchant's iPhone, and then you'll make the secure payment over NFC. So that will be really nice. You'll no longer have to have for Stripe, for example, or Square, the little dongle, right? You can just hold your iPhone up, load up the app, and uh, someone can tap to pay right there on your iPhone. So that's pretty cool. We're getting finally two-way payments. So you can use Apple Pay to make your payments, or you can use NFC and uh, Apple Pay to receive your payments. And so that is pretty cool. Something else that's pretty cool is Bloomberg reported this week that Apple acquired a new startup called AI Music. This company has developed a platform capable of creating songs using artificial intelligence. Now, The details on exactly how much Apple paid for the company are unknown at this time, and it's not clear either what Apple's plans for their new purchase are, but the company's technology allows it to create royalty-free original music using AI based on a user's interactions in real time. Using the technology that they call an infinite music engine, they claim they can provide music for marketers, publishers, fitness professionals, creative agencies, and more. So what seems likely for Apple is that they could create custom music generated for Apple Fitness Plus workouts, since AI Music says the technology could generate music that adapts to your heartbeat. So as you're working out, it could adjust and develop custom music to go along with your workouts. So that's one potential application. Another possible application for the technology is maybe added into the Apple Photos app, the slideshows and those auto-generated moments and memories that it creates, you could potentially, uh, based on the visuals in your photos or the mood or feel of your photos, generate custom music to go along with those slideshows. And that would be pretty interesting as well. I would also think that there could be potentially some interesting applications uh, for combining the technology with Apple's new AR VR headset project which is said to have all kinds of sensors on it that will allow it to track things like your hand gestures and your head movement. So you could have some fun music creation applications that would generate visuals and content and audio based on maybe your movements. And even if it can tie into biometrics like your heartbeat, you could add that in there and just create a whole experience around interacting physically with music, which might be 
really, really interesting and really neat and could generate some really cool potential content. So neat little music uh, startup purchase Apple made this week, and we'll have to see what they do with the technology. Another thing to talk about is, do you remember when Apple purchased the classical music streaming service Primephonic last year? It was one of the things that we talked about on the MacCast. This was basically a, a streaming classical music service. When Apple made the purchase, they did expand the catalog of classical music on Apple Music, but at the same time, they promised that they would deliver an app dedicated to classical music in 2022. Now it looks like they may be getting close to doing that, 9to5Google was digging around this week in the latest beta builds of the music app for Android, and they found references to Apple Classical. So that's probably going to be the name of the new service. The strings seemed to indicate the ability to open a compatible track directly in the Apple Classics service. So this is going to potentially be a separate service. I don't know if it'll be something that Apple rolls into their package plans for iCloud, but we'll have to wait and see. But they definitely wanted to give and deliver a whole separate application for those folks who had specifically subscribed to the Prime Phonics service. So they promised that, and it does look like they're going to make good on that promise, potentially in the next few months here. Looks like it was a pretty big week for Apple TV Plus series. We actually have four of them to talk about in this episode. First, we have a new eight-episode limited series called Presumed Innocent. This is coming from David E. Kelly, J.J. Abrams, and Dustin Thomason. The series is based on a novel of the same name and focuses on the story of a, quote, horrific murder that upends the Chicago prosecuting attorney's office when one of its own is suspected of the crime. No word on a start of production or a release date for this series. Next is a dark comedy series called Sunny that will star former Parks and Recs star Rashida Jones. It's written by Katie Robbins, and Sunny is based on the book Dark Manual by Colin O'Sullivan. The story tells the tale of a woman whose life is upended when her husband and son disappear in a mysterious plane crash. To help her cope, she is given a, quote, new class of domestic robot made by her husband's electronics company. The series is being produced by A24 Studios and marks the second collaboration between A24 and Jones for Apple TV+. She starred along Bill Murray in the A24 Studios film On the Rocks. In addition, Apple has given a straight-to-series order for a 10-episode series called Mrs. American Pie. This one's going to star Kristen Wiig and Laura Dern. The series will tell the story of Maxine Simmons, played by Wig, a woman who tries desperately to get a seat at Palm Beach's High Society. Dern has also developed the project, and which is based on a novel by Juliet McDaniel, and Dern will also serve as executive producer. And then finally, we have a fashion thriller. I guess that's a thing now. I don't, I don't really know. This one's about the fall of Coco Chanel and the rise of Christian Dior set against the Nazi occupation of Paris in World War II. The series will be written, executive produced, and directed by Todd A. Kessler and stars Ben Mendelsohn and Juliette Binoche. And then finally, in Apple TV Plus news, Apple TV Plus films have had a great showing at this year's Oscar nominations, picking up six nods, including one for Best Picture. 
Coda, which is excellent, by the way. I just saw it, and I highly recommend, if you haven't had a chance to catch that one on Apple TV+, Plus, you check it out. That one received the nomination for Best Picture. Also, Troy Kotsur received a Best Supporting Actor nomination for his role as the father in that film. And then Cian Hedder, the director and scriptwriter for Coda, also received a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. Then the other three nominations came in for Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, and Denzel Washington for Best Actor in a Leading Role. So Apple TV Plus going from, I think they got two Oscar nominations last year to six this year. We'll have to see how things turn out for them when the Oscars premiere. And then finally in the news for this week, unfortunately, despite attempts to add features at launch to alert customers to unwanted air tags tracking them, Apple's device trackers have been getting a lot of bad press lately, if you've been noticing. Even though Apple has done more, I think, to reduce stocking risks with their trackers than any other vendor on the market, they still have been taking some pretty big hits. And so Apple this week announced new steps and additional safety features that they are planning to roll out this year. First, they said that they are, quote, actively working with law enforcement on AirTag-related requests. And based on that work, Apple says that they feel that incidents of AirTag misuse are rare, but they acknowledged that each instance is one too many, and so that's why they say they're taking these additional steps to help protect consumers. So what are they doing? First, a new privacy warning will make it clear that AirTags are intended to track items and not people. As we know, that's not necessarily going to stop anyone. So Apple also says it's going to warn users that AirTags are linked to your Apple ID and that law enforcement can request this identifying information with a subpoena or court order. Apple will also update the unknown accessory detected messaging to identify exactly what accessory is traveling with you. Uh, this has been a problem because it's hard to know since there are a number, uh, number of devices besides AirTags that can be used for tracking which specific device is, uh, is following you around. Uh, unknown accessory detected just isn't very helpful, so they're going to expand that to tell you when it's AirPods or a third-party Find My accessory or an AirTag. They also will allow you to use precision finding to locate an unwanted unwanted AirTag near you. Currently, you can only use that feature on AirTags that are tied to your Apple ID. So if there's an unknown one and you have a ultra-wideband phone, like an iPhone 12 or an iPhone 13, you can use that to precisely find that AirTag that's been following you around. So that's another really good change. They are also changing how sound alerts work. Uh, This happens uh, at an interval 8 hours and 24 hours after an unknown AirTag is following you, so just a couple times. And sometimes it can be hard either to hear that or to find the AirTag from the sound. The new functionality will not only play a sound now, but it's also going to pop up an alert on your iPhone to give you the ability to trigger the sound again. Uh, Again, because it can be a little bit hard to hear or you might mishear it. So you'll see it visually on your phone with a notification as well as hear it auditorily. The new functionality also will 
help if AirTag speakers have been disabled, and that has been part of the problem. Uh, people have popped up and started selling online. This is really bad. AirTags basically that have their speakers disabled, making it easier to use these to track people and to stalk people, which is pretty bad. And in addition, Apple says they're going to be adjusting the tones that the AirTag makes to make them louder and easier to hear. That's been another complaint that people say it's basically just too soft and, and most people won't even hear it. And then lastly, they say they do plan to update the logic in the AirTags to notify users earlier that an un unknown AirTag or Find My Network accessory may be traveling around with them. So I think these are all really good, positive changes. Um, Apple maybe should have made some of these or had some of these when they launched, but it's good to see that they're you know, looking at what's happening with AirTags in the marketplace and adapting their policies and, and technologies to do that. I wish they'd rolled these things out a little bit faster. They're just saying they're going to come out over the next year. So we'll have to see how quickly they get these features in there. But good to know they're making they're making positive steps forward. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a moment and thank a couple show sponsors starting with New Relic. You know, if you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work. Your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken and your mind's already racing as to what could be wrong. Is it the back end, the front end? Is it the network? Did you introduce a bug with your last deploy? Now the whole team's scrambling from tool to tool and messaging person after person to try and fix and find the issue. That won't happen if you get New Relic. Now, believe me, as a web developer, I've been there. I've also been lucky enough to have New Relic available on projects, and it's an amazing time saver when you're trying to troubleshoot issues. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately, so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack all in one place. And more importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and you can resolve it quickly. That's why dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen, so get New Relic before it does. You can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash maccast. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash maccast. Newrelic.com slash maccast. And a big thank you to New Relic for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my sponsor, ZocDoc. You know, finding and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be a refreshingly pain-free yes. For me, it's that last scenario that gets me the most frustrated. When I'm sick and need to see a doctor, and it's really not that often, I want to see a doctor now, not in two weeks, not a month from now. And going online to my, my provider's site to just see that it's going to be weeks before I can see my doctor, that's infuriating to me. 
So that's when I can turn to ZocDoc and find a doctor who will take my insurance and be available to see me tomorrow, not like days from now. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need to see them. You can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who really gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit, and it's just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast to download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C doc.com slash maccast zocdoc.com slash maccast and a big thank you to zocdoc for their support of the show i received an email this week from david and he emailed me to ask this question how do you repair permissions in mac os monterey and that took me back a little bit because us old school Mac geeks, we know the time honored tradition of what uh, Merlin Mann used to call rubber chicken waving uh, to fix issues when our Macs were misbehaving, right? We would reboot, you'd zap the pram, you'd run disk first aid, you'd repair the disk permissions. And so it's a very logical thing if you're conditioned to troubleshoot your Mac in that way to, to ask that question, like, how do I repair disk permissions in Mac OS Monterey? It used to go into disk utility and just run it. Well, as of Mac OS version 10.11 El Capitan, disk utility no longer comes with the option to repair disk permissions. And so the next logical question might be, Adam, why? Why can't we repair disk permissions anymore? And that's because... Apple has saved us from ourselves and made it really unnecessary with something they call System Integrity Protection, or SIP. And basically, SIP automatically repairs file permissions during software updates and system changes. So SIP also restricts the root account so that really permissions can't get modified or changed in the ways they could in the past by software. And it really should prevent the need to kind of run repair, repair permissions so frequently or, or at all. And so apps really can't do things like modify protected locations and processes. And system integrity protection includes protection for all kinds of folders within your system. But things like the main root system folder, the user folder, the bin folder, the sbin folder the var folder, or I guess I really should be calling these things directories in, in the language of Linux, Unix that we're talking about here. And also a, a system integrity protection, protection will protect apps that are pre-installed with Mac OS. So all the Mac OS built-in stuff. And it really is uh, designed to allow modifications of these protected parts of the operating system 
only by processes that are signed by Apple, so specifically Apple, and have special entitlements to be able to write to system files, such as Apple software updates and Apple installers. And it's those things that will check and then repair those permissions if they need to. System integrity protection also helps prevent software from selecting a startup disk. So to select a startup disk on your Mac, you have to go into choose system preferences from the Apple menu and then click on startup disk or you can hold down the option key while you restart and choose from the list of startup disks. But it's not going to allow apps to do that because that was another thing that malicious software would do is, uh, you know, force your system to reboot and and, and start up with a different volume and, and change things around. And yeah, all those sorts of things, we are now protected from those with system integrity protection. Uh, it does cause some problems for some software out there that's not signed, but as long as you're sticking with software uh, that's signed from developers or stuff from purchased from the Mac App Store, you should be totally fine. This isn't going to give you any problems or, or troubles. And again, we're not having to constantly repair permissions anymore. So really the uh, answer, David, is, hey, you don't have to worry about it. It's being taken care of for you ever since uh, El Capitan. So there you go. That's what's going on. And that's why you don't have uh, repair disk permissions in Disk Utility anymore. You probably know that apps like Photoshop, Affinity Photo, Pixelmator, those things are the kings when it comes to doing photo editing and image manipulation on our Macs and our devices. But what happens if you have simpler needs than that? If you just want to make a quick edit and get something done and kind of be done with it? Dan asked me this week this kind of question. He said, do you know of a way to flip an image not rotate an image, just flip it on the Mac. And boy, do I, Dan. And it's as simple as using an app that's built right into your Mac. Uh, you don't have to get any extra special software or anything like that. And uh, it's pretty easy to do. You know, despite its name, Preview uh, is not just for PDF viewing anymore. It kind of started out as a PDF viewer, right? Uh, it can do so much more than that now. Obviously, it can do PDF editing and annotating and all those sorts of things. But uh, you may be surprised to hear that it can do a number of image editing tricks and transformations and, and things as well. So let me start by just tackling your first question directly. And that is, how do I just flip an image? And you can do that very easily. You open up your image in the preview app on your Mac you go under the tools menu and you choose flip horizontal and that will flip it. And then you just save your image and boom, you are done. And you've done everything right there in preview. No special image editing software needed. By the way, you can also do flip vertical and you can rotate. I know you said you weren't looking to rotate, but hey, preview will let you rotate your image as well. In addition, with Preview, you can do cropping, you can do resizing. Those things are a breeze uh, to resize. Same kind of thing. You open up your image, you go under Tools, you choose Adjust Size, and you can change the dimensions, you can change the resolution, you can change the scale, you can cons constrain those changes so uh, you don't, you know, get your image all out of out of dimensions. You can do all those things. To crop, it's almost just as easy. You simply 
open up your image, you drag your mouse over the area that you want to crop, and then it'll give you little adjustment handles if you need to fine tune your selection. You get it all cropped up the way you want, and then you go under tools and you choose crop, and it will crop your image. You can do image adjustments, color adjustments, that's under tools as well. You have an adjust color option that will give you options for exposure, for contrast, uh, shadows, saturation, temperature, sharpness, all those little controls are there so you can really uh, fine-tune your image and get it just the way you want. And then, of course, don't forget about all of the great markup features. As I mentioned, you can use those for PDFs, but you can also use those on your images. So you can add text and annotations, you can throw in speech bubbles, you can add simple shapes, uh, you can highlight sections of your photo, you can magnify sections, you can create alpha masks, all kinds of things. And again, we're doing this all inside preview. It's pretty amazing. Apple has done a really great job of really expanding the features and functionality. And then you can also use it to convert image formats. So if you want to save it out as a JPEG or a TIFF or a PNG, whatever you want, uh, you can do that as well when you're doing the save. So lots of great new features for doing image manipulation and editing in preview. If you haven't checked them out, I encourage you to do that. But yeah, you can simply, uh, you know, flip your image using preview. And then the last thing that I have for you in the show for this week is a thing of the moment. I want to talk to you about the Monoprice USB-C to 4K DisplayPort HDMI and single link DVI passive adapter. Yeah, I know. Monoprice <laughs> in their product names, they are very descriptive, not so uh, so marketing focused, right? <laughs> Let's just call it USB-C to DVI adapter because that's actually what I needed this thing for. I will have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But what it comes down to is um, my office gave me a... Well, originally it was a Mac Mini uh, with USB-C, um, you know, Thunderbolt ports on it, basically. And now they've just updated me to a 14-inch uh, MacBook Pro with the M1 Pro chip. Again, USB-C. And I have a couple of older DisplayPort monitors, um, or DVI monitors, really. They're, they're DVI monitors. And um, I needed a good, reliable way to connect them up because my office gave me some kind of, you know, generic Chinese adapter and it just did not work very well. It was constantly, you know, not syncing, not working. And so I am a big fan. Anybody who's listened to the podcast for a long time probably knows I'm a big fan of Monoprice. And if I need a cable or I need an adapter or something like that, it's kind of my go-to website. And so I went on there. I found this product. It is a single link adapter, so it doesn't do dual link DVI. It's single link DVI, but it supports both USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 video outputs. Um, it does DisplayPort at resolutions up to 4K, so 380, 40 by 2160 at 60 hertz. It does HDMI resolutions up to 4K at 3840 by 2160 at 30 hertz, and they work beautifully. I plugged them in, worked the first time, no issues. I have had a few issues trying to hook it up through my um, my Anchor like 13-in-1 port adapter, but I think that's because there really is only one video output 
output support and you would have to probably daisy chain the monitors so I could get one to work but I couldn't get two to work it works beautifully it works really really great when I plug right in to the laptop itself and it does great video and I have no problems with these adapters whatsoever and so once again mono price just in general I guess that would be a, a bonus thing of the moment or pick uh, if you're looking for cables that are affordable and high quality if you're looking for good adapters for your Mac they have everything they have a huge selection of stuff and it's all very reasonably priced and you can check them out at monoprice.com and that is my thing of the moment for this week and with that that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. So thank you for hanging out with me. Before I leave you, I do want to take a moment and thank my show sponsor, Smile, makers of Text Expander. You can get more information and details on Text Expander by going to textexpander.com slash podcast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9. And of course, if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.